This is an ABC podcast. Hey ladies, as a warning, this episode contains swearing and we also talk about sex a bit. Well, mainly sexually transmitted infections. Do you hear that? That, my friend, is the sound of silence. Whenever we put it out there to ask if you could please contact this podcast about mm, your relationships or bad sex or porn or some other awkward experience, it's usually like day one of your period. A deluge. Calls, emails, people stopping us on the street, Instagram messages, tweets, tags. The stories gush forth in a veritable tidal wave of sharing. But... When we asked you about your experiences living with sexually transmitted infections, it was like, hey, where did everybody go? Hello? And I know it's not because you've never had one. According to the Australian Health Department, at least 16% of Australians have reported having an STI at some point in their lives. That's around 4 million people. So, chances are you might have had an STI yourself at some point. Chlamydia and gonorrhea are the most common STIs in Australia, and they've been on the rise in the last decade. And before you think, yeah, but people in their 30s and 40s don't get STIs, it's just the young ones who are rooting around, let me be the one to break it to you. There are plenty of people dealing with STIs in long-term monogamous relationships. I was devastated, absolutely devastated. I had blisters all down in my vagina and it actually went onto my face and everything. It was like I had scabs on my face and, yeah, it was just like a whole breakout of it and just thought, and I still think that I'm just the alone and I'm the only one that has it. I'm Yumi Steins. Ladies, we need to talk about STIs. STIs are most common among 18 to 29-year-olds. But according to Harvard Medical School, STIs are actually on the increase in people of all ages. And the number of STI cases in middle-aged and older adults is growing significantly. And then, of course, there are some STIs you have for life. I have had genital herpes since I was about 18 and I'm now 38. And, yeah, it's just been a bit of a lonely battle and not really knowing how to tell partners and deal with it, really. This is Christy. She emailed us to talk about a private dilemma that she thinks about every day. I don't even really know who gave it to me at the time because I was just sort of partying a lot and probably doing all the wrong things at the time. Do you know what? You sound like every 18-year-old, by the way. Exactly. Yeah, so, yeah, I don't think you'd, you were doing anything wrong. It was just doing what yeah. what an 18-year-old does. So tell me about when you had your first flare-up. What happened? It was really bad, actually, and it was so painful as well, and I had no idea what it was. And I just remember sitting in the bath just in heaps of pain and calling mum in and showing her, and she's like, oh, I don't know what that is, but you're going to have to go to the doctor. The doctor told me pretty much straight away what it was, and I was just in shock, and he said pretty much there's no getting rid of it, and um, you've got it for life. 
So that was a bit of a shock and I didn't really know how to deal with it and I still really don't know how to deal with it to this day and it's been, you know, 20 years or so. What was the next time you had sex? What was that like? I think I resisted for a long period of time because I didn't really know what to do. I was very scared about other people getting it and worried about that. But I was still in this sort of stage of my life of just being a little bit reckless and not really thinking about it. I sort of blocked it out, really. I think I still block it out. Like, I haven't even dealt with it since then. So when you say you haven't dealt with it, how have Mm. you navigated having sex as an adult? I've just continued down the same path that I would without mentioning it or even using protection or doing anything. I met my long-term partner, well, my ex-husband, so we broke up about five months ago. So I was with him from the age of 24 to the age of 38, and he ended up getting it within the first six months, and I never mentioned it to him, and I pretty much pretended that I didn't have it, and then said I'd have to go to the doctor and check as well, and I was like, oh, I do have it, and, and then it was never mentioned again. Right. Throughout our relationship. So wait a sec, you transmitted it to him. Mm-hmm. Um, you denied having it. Mm-hmm. And then you both got tested and came up positive and that was the end of the conversation. Yep. By the end of her marriage, Christy and her husband weren't having much sex and they were more like friends. There wasn't much intimacy in the relationship. So I did have an affair with a couple of other people who were married as well. Yeah, we didn't use protection either. And, you know, I have a lot of guilt around that because I just don't know how to really bring it up with anyone, really. Right. So these other partners, sexual partners that you had, you didn't tell them that you had herpes? No. And they were married as well. Do you ever think about the wives? Mm, I do. Uh, as far as I know, that they, they haven't got it. Ever since I gave it to my husband back when I was 24, I haven't given it to anyone that I'm aware of. The last time I went to the doctor was about four months ago because I said to him, you know, I'm getting a divorce now. I've been separated from my ex for five months now and I'm going to start seeing other people. How do I even bring this up with anyone? Mm. Great question. And he, and he said, well, you have to be, just be honest. And I said, well, how does the relationship work when, you know, the only way that the other partner can't get it is by using protection? In my brain, I don't know how a relationship would work and if anyone would even want to be with someone that has to use protection every time they have sex with their long-term partner. It's my job to try and listen without judgment. And Christy is the embodiment of the shame and stigma that paralyzes conversations around STIs. We know this is really tricky because her secrecy goes against all medical advice. We're going to have more on the ways to have that conversation about your STI a bit later in this episode. For Christy, her STI shame makes something beautiful, like meeting a possible Mr. Right, riddled with anxiety. We've been dating for about two months now and I haven't told him. 
So herpes is super common. Chances are that this partner could even have it himself. Yeah. Why do you think you're so unable to tell your sexual partners about having herpes? Uh, I, I don't really want to admit it. Do you know what I mean? Mm. Like it's, I just feel like I'm going to get rejected. This guy that you're seeing at the moment, do you think it could be serious? Yes. Yeah. Do you want to have a practice at telling him and I'll be him? Oh, my God. Oh, God. I don't know. I don't know how to say it. I just come out and say it. Yeah. Hmm. I've never really sort of gone through the motions myself in terms of what I would say. I mean, he he's known sort of my past and I've been able to talk about other things with him. Um, but I just don't know how people will react. And then, you know, is it going to change our sex life? And, you know, I'm concerned about having shit sex as well, you know. Can, can you mentally pretend we're in bed together? Oh <laughs> you can say no, like that's so fine. Like it's totally safe because we like each other and it's comfy. Mm-hmm. Um, there's something I've got to tell you. Is that something that you could say? Mm. I suppose I could say it. Oh, God. I don't know whether I can. I don't think I can say it. Okay. The thing I'm learning from talking to you is that the stigma around disclosing your status as somebody with herpes is so mm. insurmountable that you that you are like you've buried it. Mm. I'm prepared to feel ashamed about myself and guilt and all that than have to put have to tell somebody and have the repercussions of that. I suppose that's what it comes down to when I'm thinking about it now. Mm. And I don't I don't feel good about that at all. I feel shit. A lot of people no. talk to us at a turning point in their lives. Mm. And often they, the thing that is burdening them, they talk to ladies we need to talk and then things change. Do you think that, that could, this could be a turning point for you? It might be. It might be. Might it might be. Put an ad yes. in the local paper, get a tattoo uh, of it. I can see myself getting drunk tonight and we're going out for dinner and I'll just end up blurting it out in the most inappropriate ways <laughs> possible because that's what I'm like. So, Yeah. Yeah, because it'll be like, what did you do today? Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> no one even knows I'm here, you know, like, oh, God, it's so it's such a secretive thing. Like, you know, and I've been through a lot in my life and this is the one thing I can't even talk about to anyone. And, I, yeah, I've been through a lot. Clearly, Christy's not only struggling with the fact she's got herpes, but struggling with talking about it. Majorly, Like, I have never experienced so much silence in an interview in my life. 
but herpes is really common. One in 10 Australians have genital herpes. So in theory, it shouldn't be that hard to say to a partner, hey, I've got herpes, because statistically, they could well respond with, snap, me too. So a bit of herpes 101 for you. The herpes you can get on your face, otherwise known as cold sores, is called herpes simplex virus 1 or HSV1. And 75% of the Australian population have it. In most cases, the herpes you get on your genitals is herpes simplex virus 2 or HSV2. And because our vaginas are like little incubators, people with vaginas get genital herpes more than people with doodles. One of the problems with herpes is that while it's more transmittable when you have symptoms like blisters, it can actually be transmitted when there are no symptoms at all. And often, herpes doesn't show any symptoms. But while you might not always be able to see anything, Dr Sarah Jones says it doesn't hurt to look. Sarah's a doctor who works in the emergency room at Tamworth Hospital in regional New South Wales. I've seen a few patients who've come in because they've got a hot date tonight and they just want to find out if that sore spot on their genitals is actually a herpes ulcer or if they've just, you know, wiped themselves too vigorously mm. or maybe when they went to the spin class they've got an abrasion or something. And even with the luxury of good light and a medical degree, I can't always tell the difference because the ulcers start as a tiny little break in the skin and then progress to an ulcer. So at some point it will just look like every other scratch you've ever had. So I would be saying if it is someone else's genitals that you're about to jump on, if there is anything untoward, get off. I don't know. I feel like we spend more time judging our apples in the supermarket than we do genitals that we're about to have sex with, mm. which is kind of odd because if you take an apple home and it spoils, you've lost, lost 50 cents, big deal. But if you jump on a infected genitals, you might be having herpes outbreaks for the rest of your life, which even outside of sex can have a big impact on your quality of life. You know, the outbreaks are painful and they're miserable and they can make you feel unwell and they can make it difficult for you to pee. You know, like I feel like it's a much higher stakes environment, but I don't think people spend a lot of time looking at the genitals no. of their new partner. No, I spend more time fondling avocados at the supermarket. Yep. <laughs> yeah. Sarah, what are the most common STIs women get in Australia? So the big three are chlamydia, gonorrhea and herpes. All right, let's talk about chlamydia. Oh. <laughs> so this is the most common STI. Why is it so common? So it's the one that is most commonly asymptomatic in women. And so it just sits there and, you know, you infect a few other people before you really know that it's there. Um, it's also classically described as being less painful than gonorrhea. And so because it's just less uncomfortable, people tend to put up with it a bit more. Pain's a really good motivator to get people to go and seek help. Whereas being not quite right down there, you're not quite as pressed to go. Some people might experience an abnormal vaginal discharge if they get chlamydia. So knowing what your normal discharge looks like is really important. But because chlamydia is commonly asymptomatic, meaning it doesn't show any symptoms, you can carry chlamydia for years without knowing about it. It's treatable with antibiotics, but if left unchecked, it can lead to complications. So chlamydia is the leading cause of infertility in women in Australia, which is kind of depressing because it's really preventable. Gonorrhea is also called the CLAP. Yep. Tell me about the symptoms for gonorrhea. Uh, so it's the one that 
is the classic, boys talk about peeing razor blades. Women get cervicitis with it, so it's associated with almost copious kind of pus-like vaginal discharge and low-grade abdominal discomfort. So when you've got it, you know something's crook. Yeah, you generally know that you're not right. Yeah. Dr. Sarah, what are the STIs that stay with you for life compared with those that you treat with something like antibiotics? So the ones that will stay with you for life uh, are herpes, and that's certainly getting a lot more awareness out in the community. Genital warts will stay around forever, but that's an interesting one because up to three quarters of the population have got some kind of HPV infection. That's human papillomavirus, which is the organism that causes genital warts, but only a smaller proportion of that will get the genital warts, and it'll hang around for life even if you don't always have the warts visible. Um, And then HIV, um, which becomes the AIDS disease entity, um, is one that you'll have for life. All right, catching an STI that hangs around forever is almost as bad as that dolphin tattoo you got in Byron Bay when you were 19 that's going to hang around forever. Splash. (laughs) And while this episode is partly about reducing the shame of getting an STI, I think we can agree that avoiding STIs would be preferable. You can transmit the herpes virus even if you don't currently have any wounds, so no ulcers, no cold sores, no ulcers on your genitals. You can still transmit the herpes virus, but it is far more unlikely um, when you don't have active symptoms. Mm. You become extremely infectious once you've got those wounds, and that's because those wounds are actively releasing herpes virus. What's your rule of thumb about how often people should get tested for STIs? In people who are in a kind of fixed long-term relationship who haven't been doing anything silly and don't think that their partner's been Mm. dallying either, I used to recommend just asking your doctor to do a swab or collect a urine sample whenever you went in for your pap smear, um, just at an otherwise routine health check. Right. If you're having a frequent change in partners and kind of frequent casual sex, then the recommendations are as often as every three months. Doctor, can you get an STI from a toilet seat? Not unless you put a toilet seat that's got someone else's contaminated uh, secretions actually into your vagina. So the general (laughs) advice on that is don't put a toilet seat in your vagina, but I don't think that's actually specific to STI transmission. If you're in a really manky toilet, squat and don't touch the toilet seat. And you shouldn't be putting your perineum, like the actual soft, juicy parts of your anatomy on the toilet seat. It should be kind of your thighs and butt cheeks that are coming in touch with that. And they're pretty resistant to infection. Good. Okay. (laughs) What is the best way to avoid getting an STI? So the best way to avoid getting an STI is to be smart and be prepared and be realistic. Take condoms, take lube. I'm really glad Dr. Sarah has brought this up because I feel like the great big paradox is that in heterosexual sex, experts tell us all the time to use condoms without ever addressing the fact that a lot of people really resist using them. For instance, Christy, the woman we heard from earlier, finds it really hard to ask a guy to wear condoms and says that in her experience, most blokes don't want to. Dr. Sarah says one of the reasons why condoms get a bad rap is simply because we're not using enough lube. When we talk about condoms, there's a lot 
of kind of excuses that come back. So, uh, you know, my boyfriend really doesn't like using condoms. Sex for him isn't as good when there's a condom on, which I don't understand how the immediate response then isn't, what do you mean sex without a condom? I'm offering you sex with me with a condom or you can go and have sex with your hand. (laughs) Why are we having this discussion? How about you go fuck yourself? I don't understand how that's not the immediate response for these women. Can I just interrupt here to check that you heard that? Because it's a great line. I'm offering you sex with me with a condom or you can go F yourself. Why are we having this discussion? Now back to Dr Sarah. They do feel almost coerced, I guess, into having sex without a condom. And a lot of them don't know. Condoms need a lot of lube. They absorb a lot of fluid. And even as a woman, you know, sometimes need lube normally, but with a condom you certainly do. And it doesn't mean he's not very good at his job or you're not having a good time. Condoms need lube. But that is just a discussion that is almost universally met with stunned silence (laughs) that when the reason condoms next to the lube in the supermarket is you need to buy them together. A lot of women may have caught an STI in their 20s, say, and now they're older, maybe they're married, maybe they've even got kids. How do you manage an STI with a long-term partner? Uh, So that is usually herpes that you're talking about there. And so that is just super honest. You're in a long-term relationship and you haven't managed to give it to your partner. You've probably been doing all the right things. So you need to keep on doing all the right things. My heart does ache a little bit for couples in that situation because I feel like there's nothing really good on TV. Rollover for a you know, quick shag is less on the table because you need to have been paying attention to, have you got any funny tingles down there? Have you got any itches down there? Could this be early in the outbreak? But also being in a position to be able to say, look, honey, not tonight because I'm worried that you might get this. So some of the spontaneity, I feel, probably goes out of it. But it's just continuing to be sensible and honest. So we spoke to one of our listeners. She caught genital herpes when she was young. Um, She got married. Her partner caught it during their marriage. And eventually they divorced for other reasons. But she's single again, playing the field and wondering how to navigate this now. What's your advice? So my advice to her is to always be prepared. So she should always have condoms and lube so that she is responsible for her own infection and her own genitals. Always insist that they get used to make sure that before she goes out on any kind of date really where you may end up in that situation that she's definitely not getting any of those kind of prodromal symptoms, the tingling, the discomfort, the suggestion she might come into, be coming into an early outbreak and then being honest with anyone. So telling them that, that you've got herpes, that you think you're at low risk of transmitting it, not just as the penis is about to enter, probably a little bit earlier than that, so that they're making an informed decision about whether or not they go ahead. So honesty in disclosing your STI is morally what you should do. How your partner reacts is outside of your control. But if they're cool, they'll be cool. As we put this episode together, we heard from women who'd come out of long-term relationships, so aged in their mid-30s, and after years of having monogamous sex with one person, living lives completely free of STIs, had gotten kind of hazy on some of the basics of safe sex. This is Sandy. We've changed her name. She has two kids and recently went through a divorce. I had been married for about 
10 years and within a year of leaving my ex-husband, I caught chlamydia and herpes. Did you go into a panic? Like what was your reaction? I absolutely freaked out initially. The symptoms were like an, a discharge, a smell. The smell was really fishy and uh, I remember waking up in my bed linen and just being able to open the bed sheets and have this really horrific smell and I knew straight away that something wasn't right. I didn't know what it was and I'd never had an STI. I didn't even know any friends that had STIs, but I just knew that something was lurking that shouldn't be there. Wow. Oh, my God. So what, what yeah. was your next step after that? Of course, I called my GP, who I've been seeing for a few years and feel really comfortable around, mm. and I went and had a chat with her and she had known that I'd been having some intercourse with some people and maybe not using protection, and that was the first thing we did was tested for that. I just absolutely freaked out when the GP said to me, you need to call and tell people. I was like, I'm not calling anybody. And she said, that's okay. You don't have to call anybody because there's an, an anonymous text line. So there's a website of some description where you can go on and you can type in the names and the phone numbers of people that you've had intercourse with and then select the STI that you've got. It sends them an anonymous text message that says, hey, someone that you've recently had intercourse with has just been diagnosed with chlamydia, it's best you go and get tested. Right. Were you using protection when you caught the STIs? Yes and no. Sometimes maybe after one too many drinks, it'll go on and then it'll come off. So yes and no. Right. So yep. since catching the STIs, has your, um, has your policy on condoms changed? Yeah, 100%. I am very, very pro condoms. I tell every sexual partner that I'm having sex with that I've got the marina. It's got absolutely nothing to do with getting pregnant. It's about the STIs. I don't plan on catching another one. I'm not ashamed that I caught one, but I don't need another. I have two small kids and there is no way that I'm going to be dealing with chlamydia and my son having the gastro bug through the house as well. No, I'm not doing gastro and chlamydia. Just one of those two, please. Yeah, one maybe, thanks. <laughs> so what's your message to women about protecting themselves against STIs? Yeah, just know that they are common. They're out there. It doesn't matter what you look like. They go around and you just need to be, you need to protect yourself and think of yourself and just be smart. Ladies, be smart. <laughs> Ladies, we need to talk about being smart. <laughs> but I, I've got a question, though. So have you got a message for people who've got herpes, who might, who might be finding it hard to share, it, share that info or freaking out about it? I just think there's nothing to freak out about. You know, like I've been through quite a bit. I've got two small kids. I've got a, I'm in my early 30s now. I'm divorced. My mum's got terminal cancer. Life throws so many things at us. There is going to be bigger things. There's going to be war and poverty. And if you're really, really concerned about a little sore on your hoo-ha, then you need to have a look at the bigger picture. It's okay. Life's okay. You'll be right. Remember that if you have anything that looks weird, smells weird or seems weird down there, it could be a block of Parmesan cheese that you accidentally left in your underpants or you just need to head to the doctor. And if you've had or have an STI, 
let's smash the stigma and start talking to each other about it. If you need to let a sexual partner know that you've got an STI and you don't know how to have the actual conversation, there are a bunch of free services where you can have an anonymous text sent to every sexual partner you have a phone number for. A couple of those websites are letthemknow.org.au or better to know. And for research and journalistic purposes, I tested out one of those websites by getting it to anonymously tell my partner that he might have caught pubic lice and syphilis. And then I fell asleep without telling him that the message was from me. (laughs) And let me tell you, the messaging works and is very effective. You can find Ladies We Need to Talk on a podcast app or on the ABC Listen app. Ladies is mixed by Anne-Marie de Betancourt. It's produced by Cassandra Steeth. Supervising producer is Madeline Jenner and our executive producer is Justine Kelly. This series was created by Claudine Ryan. The manager of Audio Studios is Kelly Reardon. And as we say time and time again, this show is all about you. If you'd like to get in contact, please send an email to ladies at abc.net.au or ring anytime and leave a message on our voicemail service at 1300 641 222. Hey, if you're looking for more audio to binge on, I'd love for you to try out the ABC podcast called The Pineapple Project. After tackling money and work, this award-winning show's third season follows comedian Claire Hooper as she buckles in for some home organisation realness. And as you'll find out, it's about way more than just stuff. I think the bedroom, the master bedroom, is the single most important room in the house. Like, Hallelujah, sister. I think my husband feels like I can get to know him better if I'm also being intimate with his laptop charger and his dirty running shorts and the book he's currently reading. Clutter is deferred decisions. I wouldn't want to throw them out because they're a part of my mum's history. This is taking up valuable real estate here, these books. Don't put it down, put it away. Ah! Don't put it down. I'm just going to start having clothes with really big pockets. (laughs) (laughs) That's a sneaky little peek at season three of the ABC podcast, The Pineapple Project, and snaps to you if you recognise the voice of Oprah's Get Your Life Organised guy, Peter Walsh, who is playing the role of this season's sensible guardian angel. With a new family facing a different room and decluttering challenge in each episode, it's kind of like a little dose of Queer Eye for your ears. The Pineapple Project is helpful, funny, and I guess just a little bit cheeky. As Claire Hooper would say, it's time to get tidy because life is messy.